Luke chapter 9, in your Bibles, if you did not bring a Bible, we have one there uh, in the seat in front of you. We're going to talk this morning about the warrior's commitment. Now, right out of the, uh, the startup here, you notice that we have stuff that's not normally uh, in the decorum of most churches, right? You know, normally you don't walk into church and you see Roman armor and swords. And we're not violent people, just to put it out there, all right? But, but, but what this is, is we're going through a series called The Warrior from Ephesians chapter 6. And you should have a card there uh, in your worship guide that explains what we're going through. We actually have two more weeks um, of this series. And uh, we invite you to come back next week. And I did miss you guys last week. I had the opportunity to go to Florida and uh, preach at a uh, youth retreat, uh, student conference. And um, on Saturday night, the message was given... And uh, the invitation was given, and, and it just continued to go. Um, there wasn't, wasn't manipulation involved. Just had a guy there leading with acoustic guitar, somebody on keyboard, and just, just singing. And, and students began to, to come down and to the front, and they began to pray. Um, there were people on their face before God, crying out for forgiveness. They had people praying for each other. They had people just standing at just random places, kind of like with their, this is going to scare some of y'all, but they actually had their hands raised and they were just worshiping God. Y'all okay with that? Choir? Y'all got my back this morning. Y'all ready for this? Okay, got my home dogs in the house. Yes. And, uh, but it was, it was just an amazing thing. And normally, like when I, when I preach at a place, I try to stay, um, except for here, I'm normally down at the front in our invitation. I try to stay up on stage, not to be a distraction, but people will take it as a cue that the invitation is over if the preacher walks off the stage. But after about 15 or 20 minutes, the Lord said, you know, you, you can just go. So I walked off behind the, one of the screens and just went over and sat down. And then it continued to go. And the Lord continued to work. And, uh, and then the worship leader, Tim Flowers, he, he finally said, you know, let's just, let's just go at this point. Let's go to our small group Bible studies, but let's leave in silence. And over 200 students, we're talking about 80 HHHD seventh grader. Can I get a witness in the house? Ever been there? You know, and there, but, but, but all the way through, through high school and 12th grade, and we had college leaders that were leading the Bible studies, and, and, and everybody left, and you could have heard a pin drop. And then the adult workers who were still there, wherever they were standing or sitting in the invitation, they just stayed there and nobody moved for like 10 minutes. And I, I thought of that verse and it says, be still and know that I'm God. And so thank you um, as a church. Thank you so much for being supportive of that and allowing me to go um, to opportunities like that. And we're still hearing about what the Lord did and the different youth groups who were there. So I did miss you guys last week. But it is Easter. Isn't it? I don't know about you, but Easter when I was a kid, I really didn't like it. Because what Easter for me as a kid meant is clip-on tie and clip-on bow ties. Y'all okay? Man, and I was like, and I love what, my, what the, the erudite, the scholarly, the handsome Calvin Cummings said about ties of that nature. He said, ties were invented by a woman, a woman who hated men. Yeah? And guys, you get a witness, you know, I was there like, this is not fun. And then, you know, they dress you up in those little costumes and you look back at it and you're like, bro, I, why didn't I end up in a Pee Wee Herman movie? Like, mom, what were you thinking? And it's just like, uh, it's so difficult. And, and then you'd go and you had pictures in the whole nine yards. But later, through the grace of the Lord, um, I realized that Easter is about Jesus. Amen, church? 
and what he did for us. Now, just a little explanation of kind of how the way we operate. If you want to say amen, if you want to, I mean, if you want to wave a hanky, y'all feel free to do that. Um, We don't want to be tied down by any unbiblical tradition here. We just want to be free to express. Um, Now, if you, if you, you know, feel led by the spirit to start hopping on the pews, just don't step on anybody. All right. So we just want to honestly, though, seriously, just be, have this a time as we're of an open heart. So we come to God's word and as we say, God, would you please speak to me through your word? I'm going to give you a quote before we jump into the text in Luke chapter nine, verse 23. This is from W.A. Haynes. He said, the, this is a tough statement. He said, the wicked spirit of fear hides behind the pulpit and keeps the minister, me, from saying what the people really need. And today, this morning... By the grace of God, this is not going to be a normal Easter message. I'm going to preach truth as the Lord gives me the ability. So once more, let's just ask the Lord to help us before we jump into the text. God, I pray that you would remove distraction, that you would help all of us to simply just focus upon your word and you would teach us what it means to truly be a Christian. And the ones here today who are not but think they are, pray that you would save them. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. The Bible says, this is Jesus speaking, and He said to all, if anyone would come after Me, that means if you're going to become a follower of Me, in modern terminology, if you're going to become a Christian, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for My sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Some versions translates that literally loses his own soul. For, verse 26, whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man, speaking of Jesus, be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. What Jesus is saying right there is simply that if a person is not willing to live 100% for Christ, sold out, dedicated, hardcore, Jesus, absolutely dedicated, Jesus is saying when judgment day comes and they stand before Jesus, he will literally say to them, depart from me for I do not know you. And then in verse 27, Jesus says, but I tell you truly, Verily, verily, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is something Jesus talks about quite frequently. In fact, the kingdom of God is when Jesus um, died on the cross, He paid the penalty for our sins, He rose from the dead. In a sense, when you get saved, the kingdom of God is inside of you. But one day, Jesus will physically return to earth and He's going to set everything right. So there in your outline, Jesus makes several statements and we're just going to go through this line by line. Jesus is very radical because notice He says that you are not a Christian unless these things are in your life. And I'm sure that if we took a survey this morning, how many of you would consider yourself to be a Christian? Probably a majority here in Rocky Mount, Virginia would say, yes, I'm a Christian. But most people, when you say a Christian, they think that a Christian is a good person, don't they? Have you guys experienced that? It's kind of like, okay, Christians, good people, um, if you if you take care of your your, your mom and, and you don't kick your dog and you pay your taxes some of the time and you, you're just kind of like a, you know the good person then you're a Christian. Well, in fact, 
The whole good person, bad person distinction is not found in the Bible. In fact, we read in this morning in Bible study in Romans chapter 3, verse, verses 9 and 10, it says, There is none righteous, no, not one. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, How many Bible teachers have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Help me out. All. So we're all, according to God, we are all... You're not supposed to say this type of stuff on Easter. We're all, according to God, bad people. No amens. We are all, according to God, comparatively to God, there is none of us that can say, God, I don't need your forgiveness, bro. I have got it down. I have rocked my life. I have done perfectly. I mean, I'm A-OK. I am morally awesome. I do not need forgiveness. The Bible says there's nobody who can say that. So Jesus is not saying... If you follow me, you're get, like, like good people follow me, bad people don't follow me. Saying literally, there's no good people. And in fact, some of you, you know, right now you're saying, but Jeff, I'm, I'm kind of a good person. Okay, the fact that you would trust in your own goodness, Easter crowd, instead of receiving God's forgiveness is evidence of your badness. For example, God gave his only son, you know the gospel story, Jesus came to be born in human flesh, didn't he? Can you imagine, sometimes we cross over that, don't we? What does it mean for God, like the God of the universe, to enter into a human body to be born as one of us? Think of all the things that are not nice about being a human. You sweat. Actually, ladies don't sweat. They glisten. Isn't that it? All right? When you're human, you, you get hungry, don't you? And if you get really hungry and you're a redneck, you get hungry. (laughs) Then you feel pain, don't you? You like that one, Joseph? (laughs) All right. You feel pain. You feel hunger. And something else, you think about this, our thinkers in here, you are limited in the time-space reality, the universe. For example, if I want to go over here, I actually in time and space have to go over here. You can't just... I'm sorry, nerds, we're not there yet. You can't teleport like the beam me up Scotty. Some of you guys are like, well, maybe one day, get a life, amen? So, sorry, I just offended all of the, the nerds in the house. But honestly, when you think of the human experience, Jesus entered into that and He lived perfectly. And so for us to say, Jesus, I'm a Christian and I'm a good person, well, the Christian means a little Christ, doesn't it? It means a Christ follower. But if we're good, and we don't need Jesus, or if we need Jesus kind of like the little patches you would get in Awana or Boy Scouts, remember those? Like you, you, get your, like you can start a fire, you can tie a knot, you can do these things. Jesus is like a patch on your sash. Then we're not really Christians. We're me-ins. Y'all like that? We're followers of our own goodness. So the concept of a good person who's a Christian because they are good is a total non sequitur. It's a contradiction in terms. Because a Christian literally means I can't be good. I cannot be perfect. And because of that, I follow Jesus who is perfect. You see that connects together? But what what happens in the South is we get it all jacked up. Um, Something else that Jesus talks about in John chapter 3. Remember Nicodemus? You guys remember him? Right? Like he's the top dog. He's the religious teacher. He's like, man, I got to find out what Jesus... Like, I got to go talk to Jesus. So he comes in at night. Isn't that good? He's ashamed. 
He comes in, he's like, you know, special ops. You know, like Jason Bourne coming in. He's like, Jesus, are you there? Come on in. And so he's got this secret late night meeting. And, and Jesus is there. And, and, and Nicodemus is like, you know, how, like, how do I get to heaven, basically? And Jesus is like, you must be born again. And here's what Nicodemus says. He's like, this is modern vernacular. How am I supposed to go into my mom and be born again? That's an awkward scenario. Can I get a witness? And Jesus is like, you're a teacher in Israel? Like, you've memorized huge passages of the Bible and you don't know this? And then Jesus says um, in John chapter 3, verse 7, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. For the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So just also, some of you guys you know, are like, well, man, I may not say I'm like the good person and I get to heaven by being my goodness, you know. But I've done that. I got saved. And in your mind, getting saved is not brokenness and repentance and being changed to be a brand new person. Praise God. But it's, it's something you did. Like maybe, you know, you, 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 you prayed a prayer with somebody or, you, or you, you came forward in an invitation or somebody came to your house and in order to get them to leave your house, they said, would you like to ask Jesus in your heart? And you're like, well, I'm not a Satan worshiper. Why not? And it makes me, maybe they'll leave. And you pray this prayer, but nothing ever changed in your life. Jesus is saying you have to be born again. That's not necessarily an experience that you have and then nothing else changes. Because if nothing changes, then what good is the experience? Right? So the reason why we're in this... Can y'all kind of feel the awkwardness? Can y'all feel that? The aroma? A little tight in here? The reason in the South, often why we have so many people who think they're going to heaven when they're really not is because the spirit of fear, as we read, that pervades behind the pulpit. So this morning, because I love you guys, we're going to teach the truth. You say, man, Jeff, what does a change like life look like? It means that when you get saved, doesn't mean that you're never going to sin again. But it means that the general trajectory of your life is to serve and follow God. You say, well, what does it mean to be born again? It means to follow Christ. What does it mean to follow Christ? Go back to verse 23. If anyone come after me, let him what? Deny himself and follow me. That means to deny, transfer, or control of your life and simply give it to God. It is driving down the road of life and we're there at the wheel, rocking along, grooving, and it means to pull it to a stop, get out, and say, Jesus, you're not my co-pilot. I might make somebody mad, but if you have that bumper sticker, it's not right. If Jesus is your co-pilot, then He's not your Lord. And if Jesus is not your Lord, then you're not a Christian. If you're not following Jesus, if He's not in front, this is what, this is not Jeff. Notice what Jesus says. If anyone would come after me, this is like target group. Any of you guys who are halfway interested in becoming a follower of me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So something we've got to realize is it's not our life. Um, in Colossians chapter 1 verse 16, it says, all things were created through him and for him. Uh, my, my cousin, Dina Robinson, when she was a little kid. By the way, I love kids. Amen, church? And God loves children. Jesus said, let the little children come unto me. And I, I love kids. And when I was um, younger, and, and she had this pacifier, right? And she knew the pacifier as mine. 
Anytime you came to act like you're going to touch her pacifier or ask her what it is, say, what is that? She would grab it and hold it close and say, mine. Kind of like a little precursor to Gollum, right? Off of the Lord of the Rings. And, and if you ever kind of just, you're sitting there like, you know, whistling and you're going about your business and you reach over like you're going to grab it, she would grab it and say, mine. And it's, by the way, isn't it fun sometimes to aggravate kids? I'm glad we have some real people in the house. Some of you are all like, shame, shame, shame. Lame, lame, lame. <laughs> but, but really, like, it, it's not our life. You know, sometimes, like, I talk to guys who are like, you know, Jeff, man, I, 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 may, I may talk to God someday, and, you know, whatever I'm good and ready, whatever I'm good and ready, I'll give God my life. Bro, it is not your life. I mean, did any of us, just like in the eons in history past, did any of us, this is, this is going to be a logical absurdity here, but would go with me on this trail. Did any of us, before we existed, decided, I think in my omniscience and my power, I shall bring together my father and my mother, and I shall be born? No! Our lives are contingent upon our parents. And their lives are contingent upon their parents. And it goes all the way back to the first man and the first woman. Adam and Eve. How did they get there? Created by God. So however far you bring back the chain of causality, our lives and everything that we have comes from God. So if you're sitting here today like, Jeff, shut up. I wish you'd just shut up and move on and tell jokes. It, it, no, it is not your life. Jesus came to ruin... This is going to be a little bit of radical here. Jesus came to ruin our so-called lives. Let me give you an example here. Um, when I was a teenager, I, 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 was, I lived in southeast Louisiana. And uh, we found the difference between Cajun slash rednecks and regular rednecks is just a few teeth. There's not that much difference. Um, in southeast Louisiana, they, some guys brought me duck hunting. Do we have any hunter hunting fans in the house this morning? That's it? All right. Some of you women are like, I wish he'd stop bringing dead things home and putting them on the wall. You know, and, and like we, we would go, we would go duck hunting and, and we would shoot these things called pool dew, otherwise known as coots. And other duck hunters in other parts of the country, they're like, you don't eat coots. You just don't do that. But I was with Cajuns. Amen. And they would eat anything. So we shot these coots and they're like, now make sure that you, you let us show you how to cook the coot before you cook the coot. Because if you cook the coot, it's real easy to mess up a coot. And I'm like, it sounds like it. But then I just wanted to, you know, the Bible says that, that the lazy man does not roast that which he took in hunting, the book of Proverbs. So I wanted to eat this joker. Like, I'm gonna, I shot it, I'm going to cook it, and I'm going to eat it. So I didn't know what I was doing. I just got it and I put it on a pan and turned the oven up. Got my mom's pan. That was a mistake. Guys, have you ever been there? You know, don't use my pans. And then she you use your pans and you got to buy her new ones. And man, I tell you what, I put it in there and you have not smelled choir a worse stink in all of your life. It was like burnt toasted coot. And it was all through the house. And I was like, nasty. No, what is that? And we like took it outside, hazmats flying over. I mean, it was just awful. And I think that's the way that we are sometimes. We say it's my life like the song and we think that we're doing and we're living and we're living our lives and then we hear the gospel and Jesus makes this radical statement go with me to verse number 25 and he says for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but he loses his very own soul 
Christ came to give us a real life. In fact, in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says the thief, talking about Satan, came to steal. Satan wants to pickpocket and rob you. He came to kill. Satan would love to destroy your health. Love to do that. And he came to destroy. But then Jesus says something very intriguing. But I came that you may have what? Help me out, church. That you may have what? Life. And that you may have it in abundance. So Jesus is coming. And what he's doing, he's literally like saying, I'm going to destroy your so-called life and give you a real life. Anybody ever told you that before? Get a life? It's not a very nice term. Like if somebody says, get a life, we don't normally say, thank you for that compliment. Write it down. Put it on a t-shirt, put it on a coffee mug. Amen? Like, thank you for that. But, but, but think about it like this. Some of us think that the universe revolves around us, don't we? But here, here's what's probably going to happen. Like, like when you die, this is just a theory. Your employer is probably going to get somebody to work your job. Just saying. Possibility. If you're self-employed, there's probably somebody who's going to come along and scoop up the business. Even if you don't hand it off to your, your kids. And probably, like, let's say you own land. What happens a lot of times, you're like, this is my, like, this is my life, my land. Your kids are going to sell it and move to Florida or something. I mean, things like that happen, don't they? But what Jesus is saying is that if we deny ourselves, if we transfer control from ourselves to Christ, then he's the one who's actually going to give us a life. But, you know, sometimes people are like, well, does that mean I'm not going to have any fun? No. In fact, Christ gives us a new definition of fun. It's stuff that you don't have to feel guilty about. You ever had a night of fun? Can we be real for a moment? Can we be really real? You ever had a time, a weekend, a night of fun? And then when you wake up, the guilt outweighs the so-called fun? And then you think in your mind, man, what the fun that I thought was going to be fun lasted for a moment, but now I have this guilt that seems to last a lifetime. If that's you, get saved. Trust Christ. He can forgive you of everything that you've ever done wrong. Some of you are like, well, Jeff, man, I, I just want to get that house. And I got a house. Well, whoop de doo You got a house. Guess what one day is going to happen to that house? It's not going to be there. Say, Jeff... I just got a bass boat. By the way, it's spiritual for you to bring your pastor on bass boat rides. Amen? And go as fast as you possibly can. I got this bass boat. I got this motorcycle, this car, all this stuff. You know, I shot this monster buck. Like the rack was ginormous, you know. It could barely fit in my house. I went out and I shot a uh, thunder turkey. I shot a gobbler. And I got, like, this is so awesome. Like, I, I got the beard of a guy. I've got the beard of a bird. That is so weird, choir. And it's hanging from my rearview mirror. How'd you know I was from Franklin County? And, 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 and seriously though, none of those things are bad in themselves. But what Jesus is saying is that if you live for those things, you don't have a life because once you breathe your last breath, you will have lost everything. God can run your life better than you can. That's what Jesus is saying. Notice what he says in verse 24. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What in the world is Jesus talking about? Jesus Jesus literally saying, look, give me control and I will make your life worth something in the end. So Jeff, what, what is Jesus talking about when he says deny himself? 
Well, Jesus is saying here that once again, you transfer control. Now, I've known a lot of people, they say, Jeff, I, I smoke cigarettes. I, I wish I would. I, I want to stop. Okay, here, here's what self-denial is not. So, Jeff, I want to stop smoking. Why do you want to stop smoking? Well, I want to have a long and happy life. Why do, I want to have, why do you want to have a long and happy life? Well, because I want to be able to enjoy my life. And if you want to stop smoking so that you can enjoy a happy life, it doesn't have anything to do with the gospel. And who is the point and the purpose of that? Me. That's not self-denial. Some people say, Jeff, man, I drink too much. I need to stop drinking. Why do you want to stop drinking? Franklin County. Say, so, well, because it's, it's messing up my life. Why, why do you not want it messing up my life? Well, because I want to have a fun and a good and a fulfilled life. Well, if that's the reason why you want to stop drinking, then it's all about, all about you. No matter what it is in your life, what Jesus is saying is not that you exchange one form of selfishness for another to where you're the primary beneficiary. Jesus is saying you give everything in your life to me and I am now the point and the purpose of your life. So Jesus is saying there in verses 23 and 24 to take up your cross and lay down your life. That's exactly what he's saying. Now notice when he says take up his cross daily. That didn't shock anybody, did it? Today we've got crosses. Like some of you may have a cross on your necklace. Some of you may have a cross on your shirt. Some of you guys have crosses on your truck. But in the first century, you just didn't do that. Like in certain roads, the Romans would crucify rebels. Like you would be walking along this road. There wasn't really a way to get off of it. And like every 20 feet or so, there would be a corpse, like a, like a rotting human corpse nailed to a cross. Like if this was the road, you would have this. Dead people, the whole road. As if Rome was like, you know, we'll treat you nice as long as you don't rebel. And if you do rebel, this is what happens to you. So when Jesus said this, this would be like today somebody saying, you've just got to pick up your electric chair and follow me. I mean, students, how weird would that be at high school? Like, bro, what is your necklace? It's an electric chair. Ha, ha, ha. Everybody will be scared of you. You could go to the biggest bully in the school and be like, electric chair. Be like, you're a freak, man. You're a freak. They would freak people out. And when Jesus said this, it's probably the people were like, oh, no, he did. Did he just? Oh, Jesus, if you say pick up your cross and follow me, people are going to see that as total commitment. And people don't want to be totally committed. You could actually, Jesus, if you listen to us, you could actually get a lot more followers if you just tell them like, you know, pick up your, pick up, Sunday morning, follow me. Get a, get church membership and, and, and follow me. But Jesus didn't do that. He said, take up your cross and follow me. Here's what J.C. Ryle said about that type of Christianity. He said, there's a cheap Christianity which offends nobody and requires no sacrifice. It costs nothing and it's worth nothing. You ever notice the things that people are committed to? Like seriously? Some people are committed to, to sports. And I love to watch, I love to watch football with people who are more passionate about the football than I am. You ever been in that situation? You know, and you can just say little comments like, wow, I wonder what happened on that play. And they're just like going through the roof, you know, just like totally intense. And people are sold out for all sorts of things. And I think too about like styles of clothes. You ever notice that? Or hair. Back in the 60s, it was what? Long hair. In the 70s, it was big hair. Wasn't it? And I, in the 80s, you know, it was like the feathered hair. Why? 90s, whatever, 2000s, whatever. And you notice how the fashions change, don't they? And how in every generation we have people that think that they're cool. 
But then when they have kids, their kids are like, Mom, Dad, please never... Could you just please put that picture, take it down off the wall, and put it in a lockbox underneath um, the bed? Because when my friends come in and they see you in 1974 and your Fu Manchu and your large... Dad, just please save us all a lot of pain. And you know what? I think like with my generation, like we think we're cool. I'm like, dude, you know, got new styles. But, but one day, like we're going to have kids and the kids are going to look back and be like, you are not cool. But everybody thinks they are cool, right? Like right now. Wait, by the way, there's always somebody in a time warp. Like they're still rocking, you know, the, 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 um, the whatever it is. And by the way, when the churchman, the bluegrass group came here, didn't the guitar player look like Tom Selleck? Those of y'all were there. I mean, did I was to- like, I totally wanted to go up to him like, bro, what you did with Quigley down under, totally awesome. But I didn't think that would be very pastoral in front of the church. Amen? And so, like, it, it, every person you have, like, everybody thinks they're cool. But what Jesus is saying is that everything, cultures and styles and fads and goals are transitory. The only thing that matters is to deny yourself, give everything you have to me, and simply Simply follow me. So you know Jesus is saying there in verse 24, He says, whoever saves his life will lose it. That means that if you say, Jeff, I will give my life to Christ one day when I retire, probably the chance, let me just be honest, is that your heart will be so hard by the time you get to that age, if you live to that age, that it's not so much that you don't want to hear God anymore. Please listen. This does not get said very much in Baptist churches. You will not be able to hear the voice of God. Because the hardened heart is whenever you hear the truth of the gospel and you say, no, there's a hardness that comes. This is all through the book of Hebrews chapter 3, if you want to go check it out. Jesus is saying, you know, you can have a little bit of pleasure, but in the end it's going to be lost. And then he says that basically losers become winners when he says in verse um, number 25, in verse 24, like if you lose your life for my sake, um, you'll find it. What in the world does that mean? Jesus is literally saying here is that if you follow me, there's going to be temporary suffering. Like, can I get a witness that if you truly live for Christ, it's difficult? Church? Like in our culture, if you truly try to walk in in holiness, and that simply means living for Jesus, being set apart, it's difficult. If you try to stand up for truth, a lot of people think like you're narrow-minded, you know, and like all this stuff. You're, you know, intolerant. We're, we're not. We love people. That's why we tell the truth. But it's hard. And Jesus is saying, if you deny yourself and you give your life to me, I'll save you. There will be suffering, but it will end in unending joy and happiness and satisfaction in heaven. And you know what happens sometimes in this verse 25? What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? A good illustration of this is midlife crisis. You know what midlife crisis is? It's a small glimpse into what Solomon fully realized. Solomon uses the word the sun in the book of Ecclesiastes over 35 times, and he says everything under the sun is empty. It's vain. It's meaningless. Life has no point. You're like, okay, well, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get a job and I'm going to get a house and I'm going to get these things. But we know that those things don't satisfy. And Solomon had all of this stuff and he came to the point and said, life without God is totally, totally and completely pointless. Totally. And we see what happens in midlife crisis, don't we? Right? Middle-aged dude goes out, buys himself a hot ride. Okay? Hawaiian shirt unbuttoned to the navel. 
He's got the Folkleys that he found on at the flea market, driving around, giving, giving young people the, the cool guy head nod, and every time he does, that toothache flops up in the air, and the wind catches it. <laughs> because what sometimes us guys realize, if we look back, if we've not given our life to Christ, we say, everything that I've lived for up to this point, if I died now... Guys, this is a terrible thought, but some of us have thought it before. If I died right now, my life would be meaningless because I have not invested my life in what lasts. It's kind of like Monopoly. You know, when you finish the game of Monopoly eight weeks later and you finally get all of the the money and you've tried to get park place and boardwalk and all of that. Now what happens to all of the money is that it's taken from the people who are playing the game. All of the little pieces are put back in the box and the money goes in the tray. The tray goes in the box and the box is laid in the top of the closet. Jesus is saying that if you live, and guys, if you find the hottest woman in the world, you're like, Jeff, she is so hot. When, I, when we walk into buildings, fire alarms go off. I mean, she is just so unbelievably smoking hot, which I think married guys, that would probably be a good thing to say to your wives after the service. And maybe just, just a good encourager. And the girls, you go like, I find the greatest guy. Like, you know, he's a classical pianist and he's also a power lifter and he makes, you know, 500 grand a year and he listens to me talk and he he understands how I'm feeling and he just is so cool like he can shoot guns and he can do oh, he's just awesome Jesus is saying that if you have everything that you can have in this life but you don't have me then your life is invested in something that's going to either turn to dust or rust Jesus asked this question notice in verse 26 he, he, he makes a little statement here that we're going to ask in form of a, a question. He says, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Um, here's, our, here's our questions. Is, is, is Number one, are you willing, honestly this morning, um, friends, are you willing to obey whatever Christ tells you to do? God is not a cosmic tyrant. He's the God of all compassion and all mercy. He's going to do whatever is best for you if you give your life to Him. There will be suffering if you follow Him. There could be a time, even in the U.S., where it becomes a political crime to preach the Gospel. And you may go to prison. Maybe worse. I don't know. But are you willing to do whatever He says to do? For example, like if you need to get saved today, and you get saved there, you ask Christ to be your Savior and your Lord, and we give you a chance in the invitation just to come down. Walking down doesn't save you. You're like, man, I just want to stand up and let everybody know where I stand today. And Christ says, I want you to go and make it public. Are you willing to obey that? Some of you, you know, you, you, you haven't been baptized. Or are you willing to do that? Second question, are you willing to move where Christ tells you to move? Remember that song that we sing, that old hymn? Wherever He leads, I'll go. Are you willing to go on a mission trip? Are you willing to sacrifice vacation time to go tell people about the gospel? Are you willing to die for Christ? D. James Kennedy, and this is in your handout, he says this, You cannot say, No, Lord. And mean both words. One annuls the other. If you say no to him, then he is not your Lord. In other words, what he's saying is that if you say, Jesus, you're my Lord, but no, then it's kind of like saying, I'm a Cowboys fan and I'm a Redskins fan. Cannot happen. If you say no, he's not your Lord. You know, I don't really know if I, if I believe any of that. 
to be honest. You know, Jeff, I, I, I try to ask the question and it really gets a lot of people off. And, oh, Jesus, you know, when the preacher comes and he tries to talk to me sometimes and, and he asks me questions, I, I've got a lot of good things that I can do to, to kind of throw them off. I ask the question, um, do you have to be a Christian to go to church? And it's, uh, you know, it's not so much that I really care about the answer to that question. But it's just that I don't really have a desire to learn. I don't have a desire for Jesus. And then, uh, then when I do go to church, Jesus, I, I mean, honestly, I don't... I mean, I go whenever I want to go. And when I go, I want to be made to feel comfortable. I don't think I should go to serve because Rick Warren, obviously, he did not know about me when he wrote... It's not about you. Because for me it is. And, you know, Jesus, and then, then when I go to church, it seems sometimes that things are said that don't really make me comfortable. And if I'm not comfortable, well, then that's the goal because it's kind of like fun is my life and I don't want to be in an awkward situation, Jesus. And I just, I just rather not go. And in fact, it's not just church. It's just like reading the Bible. I just don't have a desire to read the Bible. I mean, I tell I have it there when people come over, and it's there on my uh, my coffee table. But I just don't have, honestly, Jesus is just talking to you. I don't have a desire to read your word. And two, when the pastor talks about evangelism, like sharing the gospel, like if I truly believe in you, I'm supposed to tell other people about you. I just, I, Jesus. It's kind of like I have a reputation to maintain. I mean, if I really begin to talk about you to people, they might think I'm weird. And then that new, that new guy from South Carolina is always talking about mission trips. And I wish that he would just go back to South Carolina. Maybe I can get a special called business meeting or a deacon's meeting. Because Jesus, if I go on a mission trip, people over there, germs, they don't wash their hands, they don't smell good. I wouldn't tell anybody else this, Jesus, but between me and you, if you could just let some disease go over there and wipe them all out, that'd probably be better. Because I certainly, just between me and you, Lord knows I would never say this in church. I would never say this to my pastor or even my family. As far as those people, I just don't really give a rip. And you know what, Jesus? When they ask me questions like, have you been born again? Well, I've done that. But I don't want to ask myself if my life has changed. So I think that Jesus, if... You tell me to pick up my cross and follow you. I think that this is more my cross because it's about me. And in fact, I think I'm more comfortable with this than bearing my cross for you. And um, when we treat Jesus as someone to be edited, This is what the edited gospel looks like to where the cross is no longer about Jesus who died for us and who can change our lives, but we have turned Christianity 
into something that's about ourselves. Is this you this morning? But here's the cool thing. When you come to the place to where you hear the Gospel, like some of you have heard it this morning, truth, not what I said, but what Jesus said. And God begins to just break apart your life. He begins to show you the error of your ways about how living for yourself really is not going to matter in the end. And you come to that place and you say, Jesus, I have lived for myself. If I died right now, especially for my family, if they followed me, it'd lead them straight into hell. God, I claim to know you, but I don't pray with my children. I don't, I'm not a spiritual leader. But God, I'm asking you today to take me in brokenness and that you would take my life and you would forgive me. You would make me a new person. And God, I'm coming to you in total humility and brokenness. Today, I want to commit my life to you. I don't want to have any more casual Christianity. There's a statement that Warren Wearsby said. It's really awesome. He said that we cannot crucify ourselves. He said we can... He said that we can yield our bodies to Christ. And I love this part. So we can yield our bodies to Christ and let Him do the rest. And when we come in brokenness and humility to Christ, He takes the I, a life that's all about me. When I was 19, I praise God, He saved me. Not by anything that I did, but by His grace. And He makes us into a follower of Him. But the question is, are you willing to commit to this? Are you willing to be saved today? There's an awesome verse in the Bible to where Jesus, the Gospel writer, says, He who comes to Me, I will not cast out. There's some of you here today and you're like, man, Jeff, I was, it was very awkward for me to, to listen to this because it seemed like I was getting hit in the face like all through the message. I feel guilty. What is this? That's a good thing. Because it's the knowledge that we've done wrong that leads us to repentance. So here's the invitation very simply this morning. If you're here and you're like, man, Jeff, I've been saved. I'm living for Christ, but I want to join this church. Come on. When we begin to sing, just get up out of your seat and walk forward. We'd love to have you. If you're here and you're like, man, I've never, been bat- I've never been baptized by immersion. I want to follow Christ. We ask you to come. If you're here and you've never been saved, we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes just uh, for one moment. Um, church people, if we could keep the purses and stuff where they are so we don't distract, that would be awesome right now. We're just going to have a time, just a quick moment here. We're going to bow our heads and give you a chance just from your heart to say, God, as best I know myself, I'm asking you to take control of me. And if that's your desire, we're going to ask you to get up and come when we begin to sing. And just come forward and, and, and we'll know why you're coming. Say, Jeff, I'm ready to live for Christ. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we bring this to a close. If you're here and you know that you're like, Jeff, this is where we're supposed to be. Um, this is where I'm supposed to be. I'm ready to join up. I'm ready to be a part of, of Rocky Mountain Baptist Church so that we can spread the gospel. Um,
Just follow what Christ tells you to do. And, and most of all, for, for the ones here, um, you're, you're probably an upstanding person in the community. Um, you may have even been baptized in the past. You may be a member, a church member somewhere. But God has shown you through the course of this message that you have not been born again. Just right now, just tell the Lord, just say, God, would you save my soul? It's a man in the Bible, and the only words that he could, he could muster up was, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Say, God, save me. Just cry out from your heart and ask Jesus to save you. If you're ready to follow Him, we're going to ask you also to come. When we begin to sing the first verse, just get up and come and follow Christ. Father, we thank You for this time. We just ask that You would help us during this time of commitment to follow You. In Jesus' name, Amen.